This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's the Winkler. This is the horn. But we got a new guy in our midst, and he doesn't have a cool nickname yet. Guys, Derek Edwards, welcome <laughs> Big to D. the Forging Table. Thank Big you. D. Big so, Ed. here's the thing. Here's the thing. For, for those of you in the audience that don't know this guy, if I were to look at and describe the most outgoing, most talkative people on the planet, one of the first people that would not come to mind is Derek Edwards because he's a very quiet guy. He's a, he's a bit of a slow cooker. But the thing about Derek, and I'm going to speak about him to his face and make it awkward for him. Um, he was basically the first guy whenever I was looking for kind of an inner circle for the, for, you know, undaunted life, like before forging table was even an idea. And I asked, I was thinking of couples that you know, I knew would be prayerful about what Undaunted Life was doing and that were sold out for the mission. I thought of you and your wife, who we have not gotten permission to use her name, so you can use your name if you want to. I won't right. get in trouble. Um, but uh, So that's like a really cool thing that you, you've literally been there from the beginning. But when we came up with the forging table idea, you know, I was like, okay, who can we get on that's going to like really talk and make these big, bold points? And you and I spoke, and it's like, that's not really your wheelhouse. You kind of like being behind the scenes. But then as we've gotten the forging table going and as we've been doing stuff like that, uh, I was like, I really think that you would you would do well on this, and I think it would be good for you, good for the table. And so I welcomed you to do this. You you accepted, and and you're here. You're not going to be doing it all the time, but anyway, I just wanted to kind of like tee you up a little bit. Like, do you hate me for asking you to do this? Because now you're <laughs> sitting here and having your face in a microphone. Like, or or is this going to be okay? I think we're going to make it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. A little nervous, but yeah, it's going to be good. Well, you should be nervous because if you make any mistakes. Joby is listening from Florida as we speak. And, you know, we've got a sorry Joby, you know, calendar or not calendar, I guess counter would be a better word. But when it's anybody's first time on the forging table, they have to answer three questions. I always like forget my own questions, but let's see. Um, How did you become a Christian? So quick description of that. How do you like to study the Bible? And then how does your brain work? And so you have like two minutes to answer all three of those questions and you can't forget any questions. All right, so ready so we, go. Yeah, so came to Christian when I was five. Uh, we were in uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma at the time. I remember coming home from church one Sunday and just talking to dad. And he's, you know, asking me all the questions. But yes, yes, that's what I believe. I want to do it. And then, yeah, just there uh, in the bedroom. I remember jumping on the bed like, yeah, let's do it. So uh, <laughs> five years old, you know. Uh, I think that's when, you know, the con- uh, conversion was actually five, you know. Long process from there, but. Still working on it, obviously. Um, that's, a, that's when I became a Christian. How do I study the Bible? I like to listen to the Bible more than anything. Um, real audio, audio uh, and visual. So when I read, uh, I get distracted. I have to go back and read several times. Mm. Uh, so I can listen. and can listen and read at the same time. That seems to be the best uh, for me. Is there a particular audio you like or no. reader or whatever? Okay. No. James Earl Jones, yeah, James Johnny, Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. Yeah. Like there are options around yeah. this table. Maybe Paul so, Washer. He puts me to sleep. Paul Washer put me to sleep. Yeah. yeah. Bible. Yeah. yeah. So those are kind of the, I like to read and study the Bible and then obviously just digging into some of my favorite uh, guys that are preaching and stuff like that. So. Okay. And so how did your brain work? Uh, slow, uh, really slow uh, for the most part. Um, yeah. I like to like, 
like we said, if you're asking me a question, I'm probably not going to give an answer right away. Right. Um, so yeah, I like to, to this take- day, you've never answered any of my questions. I've asked you <laughs> questions for years and I still am waiting on answers. Hey, I'm here. Well, so. but, but wait a second. The, the interesting thing about it is you're a pilot, like that's your profession. So the slow, like, I don't know anything about flying, but I, except for, I don't want to crash in an airplane crash. So that's where I get all my fast processing. Okay. When, when we're flying. <clears throat> all right. And a lot of that's scripted, you know, it's, that's uh, the same thing or same process for the most part. And as long as we don't get any, you know, red flashing lights, it's kind of goes the way it's supposed to go. Uh, when you do get a red flashing light, that's when you got to, you know, think a little quicker. So how often do you get red flashing lights? Not very often. Okay. I was going to say like, <laughs> is there like a cool almost died story? No. Okay. Could you make one up We got quick? struck by lightning no. the other day or a few months ago. So that was kind of cool. You got struck by lightning? Yeah, we did. The plane? The plane. Yeah, I guess I did not. Plane got struck by lightning. Okay, I'm like literally sitting here, like, oh, is there any cool stories? And you're like, no, we did get struck by lightning. Like, that's, you do realize that. We didn't get a red flashing light or anything. (laughs) (laughs) But you got struck by lightning. Like, Thor hit you. Like, what what exactly? Okay. Did you get any special powers? No, I was hoping special powers would come, but no. Decision Uh, making. Unfortunately. (laughs) Quick decision making. How did you get struck by lightning? Okay. Well, very good. Well, and before we, we dig in, you asked me right before I hit the record button, which by the way, right before I hit the record button, this guy had to take a big drink out of his big, you know, loud cup. You had to cough, you farted. Like it was just like, you know, if I hit the record button, like all that's going to be on there. So it was a masculine symphony. Yeah. Now, I've, now I've made you wait. What exactly did you want so, to talk to me about? It's, it's your, it was your birthday a couple months ago yeah. and I got you something, Okay, but I wanted to wait to give it to you right now. So. Is it, is it underwear? Is it underwear? <laughs> no, it's not. Okay, here we go. It's something you can wear. Here we go. <laughs> I can only guess. Oh, oh please. To everyone be, listening on audio, please be like, what, what I think this is. <laughs> oh, okay. It has words on it. So, so there I was on my way to kill Christians when I used my free will to become one. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, brother. Ah, wow. Look at that. Oh, and it's, would you imagine the name of the company is Reformed Sage. So there you go. You get, you get a shout out, Reformed Sage. <sighs> Do I need to put this on? You can wear it if I you can want put it to. on in between. Oh, yeah. and some got stickers. Oh, yeah. And we got some, stickers. Got some stickers for your Reformed truck. Sage. Telestai. Okay, there we go. I actually know yeah. what that means, but we don't have to talk about. It. Well, I, I would say thank you, but I don't appreciate this gift. Not even <laughs> a little bit. But I'm going to toss it over there, and we'll pretend for later. Well, thank I you. Was, I was thank really so hoping you were going to pull out a gift. Cubs hat, and I was just oh, yeah, so yeah. joyful. Why would you even mention <laughs> no. the Cubs hat? Okay, for everyone else, like I'm people, getting that for his kids, guys. You so. realize there are people here for the Bible study portion, but the last time, now I will give Mr. Winkler a break. Because he had about 17 minutes notice before he came in and filled in last time because somebody got sick. But he walks into my house wearing a Chicago Cubs hat. And I didn't know if this was like a joke. Was this a setup from the beginning? Was this guy actually sick? Did they send this guy into my house wearing this nonsense? So he asked me this time. So we have a neutral, just state of Florida hat mm-hmm. going on right now. It's not Florida Marlins. Even, even if it was my Marlins, like it's not even that big a deal. They're not even Florida Marlins. Miami Marlins. But that doesn't matter. Because we're digging in to Matthew 3 today. So, guys, we're, we're really in the thick of the Gospels now. The interesting thing about Matthew 3 is this is about, I don't know, like 20, 25 years after the end of Matthew 2. So, there's a big gap. And as I was preparing for this and looking, it's like, okay, um, you know, Jesus's public ministry was three years worth of public ministry, but most of the gospels only cover the second and third year. And really John's the only one that deals with much of kind of that first year. So there's really a large gap here as we get into Matthew three. 
But this is where John the Baptist comes onto the scene. And, um, you know, this is, this is a wild man who's, you know, baptizing people and basically calling people out like a prophet would. But the, the interesting thing about this is before Jesus could start his earthly ministry, he had to be baptized and he had to be tested. And so we'll get to the testing here in a little bit, but for anyone who wants to hop in on, on the whole baptism part, I know that there's a whole lot that can be said really about the entire book of Matthew. So let's just, let's just dive in on the baptism of Jesus and John the Baptist. I think I want to go a little bit before then. I'm sorry. Let's go. When he talks about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you know, John's already talking about repentance, you know, Christ will talk about repentance, but John's even bringing that out. Repent, change your mind for the. Um, kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so I thought that was a, a pretty amazing thing to look at, that he's calling people to repentance, um, no longer with salvation, but uh, measured by deeds. So no longer were they measured by their deeds. Now it's being saved. You know, it's, it's coming to who the, Isaiah 40 would call the Messiah. Um, and, and Isaiah 40 actually talks about John the Baptist as the voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare a way for the Lord, makes his path straight. So I, I think it's really great that chapter three starts out with repentance. I think the other thing I'd like to point out is pay attention to what they're saying about how John is dressed, what he is eating, and where he is. Um, John's appearance and diet have essentially... I mean, he's rejected the luxuries of life. He's wearing garments and eating the diet of a poor person. And John is, he's exemplifying the idea of, I am clearing the way to make the path straight for the Lord. He's removing these obstacles from his life that might get, a, got, might get in the way of the kingdom of heaven. And I think as I was reading through this, I was going, okay, well, taking inventory of my life, like what's in the way, what's in the way of my, like the Lord coming to me and making sure that that path is straight so that I can follow him. Well, let's, let's actually back up a little bit. To, so this will be to both of y'all's points. And so, so Derek, you started going to church early on. Um, I guess for me, I didn't really even hear the word repentance until I was like a teenager. And so I thought repentance meant saying sorry really forcefully. Like I'm going to, I'm so, I'm not just sorry. I'm so sorry. But obviously for anyone that's been a Christian for any length of time, it, it means like a complete 180. You are turning away from your old self. But like, I guess, you know, repenting is turning away, saying sorry. Like you can be sorrowful and depressed, but not repentant. Mm-hmm. What is kind of y'all's understanding or how is your understanding of repentance evolved over time? Because even to this day, when I'm like, oh man, I need to repent of that, I'm thinking in terms of saying sorry. And so I'm still kind of working on it. I see where you're coming from with that. I, I kind of mix repentance with uh, conviction. Uh, whenever I felt convicted on a certain way that I acted, I felt like I had to like, oh, I'm sorry, God. And like that was repentance. But no, repentance for me has changed over time is that uh, it kind of comes from the Greek word menetonia, which means to change, to change your mind. Is that, we're just going to drop Greek I mean, I words was out of that or yeah. later. Oh, you were going to say, Derek was going to say it, but dang. <laughs> Did I pronounce that right, Joby? And he's not sure. here. So we're just going to say yes. Well, anyway, I'm sorry. I messed I up out. your point. I messed up no, your no, point. Keep going. You're all good. So it's, it's a change of mind. Um, it's, you know, this is my former life. This is how I lived before Christ. And now I'm changing my mind and I'm changing that. I need Christ. I need him to live the way that I need to live on top of 
I can't do everything. I'm not going to be able to create perfection. My perfection isn't in my deeds. My perfection is in Christ alone. And for me to change my mind on knowing that it's not about me and it's not me that's going to do it, that is what the gospel is trying to bring about. That's what Christ came to this world about. So repentance is saying, all right, I know that my former life was this, but now I know I'm going to lead this life. I'm changing my mind and I'm going to lead my life this way. So the born and raised Catholic me is going mm. to say, like, I agree with everything you said, and I'm going to add on one other thing. There's confession of sin. It's confession. Um, I think. To like a little guy in a box or to. I think confess your sins to one another. It's mm. biblical. Uh, I think not necessarily to the guy in the box, but, you know, the accountability group that you might have, you should be confessing to one another. You should be confessing that sin to God. He already knows about it. You might as well give it to him. But the idea that I've always looked at confessing sin as something that if you truly want to abandon that sin and turn away from it, confess it, tell someone about it though. A, they will help you hold accountable, but B it's a very, very humbling experience to confess something that you go, Hey, I am a Christian. I, you know, this is what I believe. And I, I broke God's will for me. I, I did not follow Christ in this moment. That accountability and that humility, I think, is extremely helpful if you are truly going to be repentant and follow Christ. I agree with you, but I think if we go about that way, it kind of comes to a legalistic type of atmosphere. I think as a true Christian, for me, I need when I repent, I need to repent to brothers that I've, you know, from that conviction. But if we're talking about, you know, I'm talking to somebody who's a new Christian and I say repent and believe. You know, I want them to repent from their past and what that oldness was and then believe and then future repentance. I wouldn't really call it repentance. I would call Mm -hmm. it more of a, a, what do I want to call it? Um, There's a word that I use, uh, sanctification. Mm -hmm. I would say me going to a brother because, you know, hey, Kyle, I need to talk to you. I spanked my kid too hard or I yelled at my wife. Um, I've sinned in this certain way. That's more of a sanctification, even though I'm repenting through that action. Mm -hmm. But I think repentance is a good thing. And to talk about your sins when you're coming to Christ and saying, Hey, um, I'm changing my mind on how I live my life. I live my life this way. I was into pornography. I was, you know, I treated my wife horribly. I, I was an alcoholic. I, I, I subjectified women, you know, those are things that I want to point out that I'm going to repent of because God has changed me and I'm taking a 180. So we're about 15 minutes in and Derek, you have yet to give any commentary. So I know you're a crock pot, but we're just going to throw you into the cast iron skillet right now. Ready, set, talk. uh, I'm more on the Ryan side with the repentance and sanctification side there. Um, Things that spoke to me in that first little bit um, was pretty interesting. John the Baptist later in Matthew is described as being the greatest man that ever lived, um, which I never really understood that, I guess, but, I think it's pretty cool that John the Baptist, who Jesus says is the greatest man that ever lived, is the one being the herald to tell that the king is coming, repent. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, John the Baptist, Christ herald. And then I had another point and I already forgot it. That's okay. We'll hop in because this, this is how it works. But <clears throat> okay, so all of y'all are bringing up something and I just, I can't get this out of my brain. And so I, I just want to discuss it with you because... It really bothered me this morning in our little Sunday school class, and it's because, you know, our Sunday school has been 
been around for, for years. And we have couples that have been in there from the beginning for how long has our, our new Sunday school been around? Three, four years, maybe longer. I've been, so four, I've been in think, three. Right? So yeah, you've been so, in three. So let's just yeah. say four years. I'm the newest. And so we do, we do prayer requests at our tables where you can kind of say, you know, what you need prayer for. Like, oh, I'm, hey, I'm about to have surgery or, hey, you know, uh, my family member has cancer, whatever you want to put down. And there's praises as well. And that's all typed up and, you know, emailed out to everybody. And so for the fervent or even, you know, mediocre prayers in the group, that's really helpful. But I had this thought when I was in there this morning that we never get any real prayer requests for us that are relational. So like before my surgery, it was like, hey, I'm about to have my throat cut and a bunch of crap thrown in there and I could lose my career. So yeah, everyone was down to pray for that. But I've yet to see somebody write down on that prayer request. I've sinned against my spouse. I've, you know, the, so I'm taking it the, the confession way. I've sinned against my spouse or my spouse and I are at each other's throats right now. And like our marriage is on the rocks. And it hit me like a ton of bricks this morning where I was like, there's a couple that could not just leave this group. They could lose their marriage and no one in this freaking room would know about it. And part of it is because typically when a marriage falls apart, there's sin that needs to be confessed that has gone unconfessed, whether it's a of sexual nature or an emotional nature or financial nature, there's, there's something there. But I was just like, that we didn't have an, and I'm not just picking on my group like this. You could go to any Sunday school in America and, and have it, have it be that way where we're so put together when we walk in the door and our kids look like they're not insane and we look like we love each other. But then we walk into that room and it's just fake because unless we are in that one Sunday school in America that has 25 couples that are all crushing it like just super duper in love romantically, all the different agapes, like every kind of love there is. And so I wonder if this confession part, I know we're, we're kind of getting out of Matthew three. I do want to come back, but I just want to kind of bring that up as like, just kind of a real moment and like almost a wake up call for everybody to where it's like, if you confess your sins to one another, that would be the people that are like in that Sunday school type of environment. And like, anyway, I don't, I don't even have a point. I don't even have a question uh, there aside from like just bringing that to everyone's attention, including ours here at the table. I was going to say, I think to me, this, I mean, those signs of repentance, it's confession of sin, it's prayers of remorse and it's abandonment of the sin. But I put confession of sin first. I mean, how can I actually turn away from it if I'm not even willing to confess it? And there's so many sins that we commit, not just with our spouse, but also just the, you know, so many like what we would, I mean, Jerry Bridges call them respectable sins. You know, those things that we got so comfortable doing over time. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinful overeater. Uh, I eat way too much food. That is a sin. It is, I'm gorging myself. That is sinful. How often have I confessed that? How often am I actually taking accountability for that? But to that point, I think, if I'm ever going to actually have a true heart change and turn away from things, I need to confess those sins and they need to be, I mean, my wife hears my sins, my accountability group hears my sins. And the only reason that I would not want to do that to me is just, I'm sinning one more time because I've got pride in the way of actually confessing that sin. Pride is always the thing that sets us towards that trajectory. Um, Kyle, from what you're coming from in regards to, you know, uh, you know, us doing that in a prayer request or something like that. I think we, we got to look at community. I mean, we have a community group. Um, maybe that's something that 
we should feel open to do. I know my wife would kill me if I was like, I'll put like, Hey, you know, uh, pray for Rachel and I, I was going to go through a tough time or something like that. But I, there's people in our group, you're one of them, you know, that I would come to if I'm having a really tough time and like, I would have a community of guys that I trust that I would get around and talk to rather than go and talking to a therapist first. You know, uh, I think having that is, is important, you know, hearing from the guys that you trust and, and, and agree with, not, not necessarily agree with you on everything, but you know, are following, um, you know, following the, a biblical pattern of what fatherhood and what uh, being a husband's about. So I, I'd like to see us get more open on that. I don't know. We're such a large group. I, there's, there's going to be some awkwardy, some, some awkwardness to it, but I mean, getting there might be a beautiful thing. So I guess it's obviously, I agree with you. You're going to go to the people in the group that you trust people that aren't going to take advantage of the things that you're confessing to them. But even people that are not close to you, just, just imagining, I guess in my head, like if there was a a couple in there that was literally on the ropes and then all of a sudden there's 25 couples that are now going to advocate for you and your marriage that are maybe a part of the marriage is, uh, you know, not enough time, like uh, away from the kids. Well, now you have 25 couples that are maybe like, Hey, I'm not going to ask you. I'm telling you, bring your kids over Thursday night, drop them off. Y'all are going on a date. Or like now you have at least a percentage of those couples that are now praying for you and that are kind of checking in on you. And so I can see it both ways where you want there to be that community there. But then, so that's more like the, the sniper rifle approach. But like the shotgun approach is like, hey, we're just going to get a bunch of people that are just going to randomly love on these people because that's way better than, oh, yeah, you know, we're getting a divorce and there's nothing y'all can do about it now. Because then you're going to have 25 couples that are like, I w- you know, I would have done something. I wish, you know, we would have paid for this. We would have done that, you know, that type you, of thing. You have to know, though, um, we had a we went to a church, Rachel and I, and um, it was really built on marriage, but it was just a facade. And then we come to find out we had like four people in our church, four couples get a divorce. And Rachel and I, we, you know, we had our, we had our problems, went to a weekend to remember, which was a great thing. And it's just like, man, if I would have known those people, I wasn't super close to some of them, but I knew them. I was like, I would have paid the 600 bucks to send them pay for their date and hotel just for them to get the idea of marriage that we learned from this to hopefully save their marriage. Like I've sent relatives to this thing when they're going through tough times. And, and I, I think it's, but we have to know, like, if you don't know, then you don't you can't do anything. You so know? that goes back to your point, Winkler, where it's like, do you like when people use your last name? It just appeared. Okay. All right. Um, as long as it's not Captain Winky, I'm okay. pretty much okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. That's gross. Okay. We're, I can't totally edit that out either because once I hit the record button, it stays in. Apologies. But anyway, just wanted to kind uh, of. This is a family take, program. I'm yeah. sorry. No, it's not. It's a man's podcast. Like you know, we've already broken so many barriers on this. All right. So that was our detour. I'm going to come back. Um, so to the point you were making earlier, Winkler, about, you know, this guy, obviously a wild man. He's got these crazy garments. His hair's all over the place. Just a disheveled wild dude, dude, the locusts and the honey. But then verse seven, and reading from the ESV. Oh, I love this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume and say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the roots of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Okay, so <laughs> rough dude, and he says rough things. Yes. That was a straight up diss. Right. I mean, that was a diss track. That, that was a that was a like couple thousand year old diss track. Yeah. He and like. The, <laughs> the thing about it is, and we see other places. You know, when we talk about you know the whitewashed tombs and how the Pharisees and Sadducees were very. It almost goes back to what you just said, Ryan, about the church that is the marriage church. It, to me, it makes perfect sense that four, four marriages failed because you can't have a failing marriage at the marriage church, yeah. right? Mm. Imagine not liking the worship song at the worship church, yeah. right? You know, it's like, that's, that doesn't make sense. We're the worship church. We got to be handsy. We, we, you know, not handsy like in the Bill Hybels kind of a way, <laughs> but like Captain handsy and like way. the hands up. Not, uh, <laughs> the raise yeah. the roof way. All right, the raise the roof way. Um, but like, like um, just imagine in this particular setup, like he's, John the Baptist is calling them right out. And I got to tell you, it's going to seem like a shock to all of you. I am so sick and tired of Christians that are not saying the thing that needs to be said because they're afraid it's going to come off as harsh. Now, there is a line where you're being needlessly harsh. I think this was in Luke 11 where it's, um, you know, Jesus was talking about, you know, don't basically, don't call people you fools. Like, don't call people names. That's like needless harshness. But Jesus used the same type of language that John the Baptist used here at several points during his ministry. He had people in his own hometown that tried to kill him for words that he said, right? Like they, they walked him out to a cliff pretty much. And he just said, nah, play. And he just walked right in between them and, you know, uh, went on living. But I guess for me, this isn't like licensed to me to talk like a jerk, but at the same time, it's like when the occasion calls for it and you're, you're almost needlessly too nice. I don't think that's right either. I think the, every time I read, uh, what Jesus is saying, it typically he likes to start off by saying, I am telling you the truth. And I feel like we just kind of gloss over that. But like, imagine if you added some emphasis to what he's saying, I am telling you the truth. I am. I think Jesus was just, was, was harsh. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you have to be, if you're telling people the truth when they've been living out a lie, how can you do anything but be truthful? And they are not going to want to hear it. The truth can be harsh. It's tough to hear. So I completely agree with you, Kyle. I don't know why we would be so soft. So it's funny. I'm, I'm reminded of a Bill Burr joke. Yeah, sorry, guys. I, I watched Bill, Bill Burr and I, <laughs> I think he's funny. Burr. And he was talking about, I won't say the joke, but he was talking about how if something is red monotone, it's not going to seem the same as it happened in real life. So imagine if, you know, we, because when we read the Bible, we're like, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Like, that's not how he said it, Mm-mm. right? And the first time that kind of blew up for me was reading A Beautiful Outlaw by John Eldridge because he was trying to bring out the personality of Jesus. Because like we read the scriptures and we just read it like Jesus was, you know, this holy robot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, like, again, imagine the tone you would have to use for somebody to want to, they hate you so much, not just because of the contents of your words, but how you said them. I think that's important to keep in mind. Um, just to make you talk, Derek, I'm going to make you read verses 11 and 12. So ready, set. Talk again. All right, 11. I baptize you with water from repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hands, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I'm from the ESV. Yeah, so ESV. Is everybody ESV right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. ESV and NASB. All right. That's how I roll. Overachiever. Um, <laughs> so again, even as you read it, if I had read it out loud, 
Winkler had read it, if Ryan had read it, we would all read it that same way. I wouldn't read got, it that way. You, what? You, okay. <laughs> Yo, get out of here. Like, you almost made me throw the Bible. Come on, Ryan. But, like, the, the level of fire that he probably said that with is fairly substantive. But the one thing I want to point out before we get to the actual baptism of Jesus is John the Baptist, wild man, unkempt, you know, saying these crazy things, very humble as well. Because we can see that when he's talking about the, the one that is to come who will be Jesus, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And I don't get the sense that that's very false humility because everybody knows that guy that is desperately trying to seem humble but isn't. Like he is a type of guy that will say something like, yeah, dude, I'm like the most humble person I know. <laughs> like that's the, that's the thing they will like constantly be patting themselves on the back when it comes to their own humility. But even in the middle of dropping this gauntlet, this diss track, like he is so humble because he knows, you get the sense he knows he's important. He knows he's the, the trailblazer, mm-hmm. but he knows the person that's coming after him. Like, p- dude, people aren't going to remember my name because I can't even carry this dude's sandals. He believes what he's saying. He believes what he believes, you know? Um, this isn't like, hey, I'm just going to talk about this, you know? Like, I, I kind of think this is going to happen. No, he actually believes that's why he says it with fervor and fire. Um, I think it's, it's great when you look at this as it is a straight up distract to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Cause when he says flee from the wrath to come, like they thought in their minds that only non-Jews were going to take on the wrath of God. Right. So all Jews weren't going to take on wrath. And then he goes on even further to talk about, you know, cut down the, uh, cut down and thrown into fire. He's saying judgment is here judgment is coming and that judgment is coming through Christ and which he goes into about baptism. So there's three types of baptism, baptism, there's water, which is repentance and purification and cleansing, Holy spirit baptism. All believers in Christ are spirit, uh, receive the Holy spirit during baptism and then fire throughout the context and meaning of judgment. So at some point, you know, at the end, when everything's said and done, we're going to come down to a final judgment where you'll be thrown into the lake of fire if you don't believe. And so he's just showing all of this right now. And, and just really he's preaching to these people, but he's preaching to the Pharisees and the Sadducees right now. So I think it's a, if you kind of look at the context of everything, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing what he, what he's doing. It's pretty ballsy what he's doing right now. I mean, that's like us, like walking into, I don't know, like some church that we know is, portraying a false gospel and just going in there and just just saying, whoa, where are we going with this? Yeah. And calling those leaders out. It's surprising to me they're even there. Because I I've, I've, can't remember where it was. It's like a day's journey from Jerusalem out to where he's baptizing these guys. So it had to be, you know, some, I don't know. Uh, Spies. Excitement out there. <laughs> and they're like, yep. what are we missing out on? Uh, so uh, Sadducees, uh, kind of deniers of the supernatural kind of political opportunist, like yep. let's get out there and let's uh, not compromise. Uh, help me out here. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying, I know exactly what you're trying to say and it's lost me as well. Like they're, they're basically trying to needle at it, like kind of yeah. cut out the, the foundations of this movement. Yep. Yeah. How can we capitalize on this? Yeah. Basically? Right. It's, it's a, I mean, they're, they're leader. I mean, both the Sadducees and the Pharisees that were both there. I mean, they're, they were the leadership at the time. Um, and, and you have somebody who's challenging your authority uh, as a leader, what you're going to do is you're going to either try and ingratiate yourselves with them to make them part of your movement 
So they're coming out to what, see, like, what is John saying? What's he doing? He's got this big following. How can we make sure that these followers don't go with him? Or can, so can we incorporate him into our message? Or can we find, can we find fault in this prophetic figure? And as you said, needle at him, tear it apart, say, this is, you know, heresy, and, and then essentially separate the crowd from him. Well, you can use them either way because mm-hmm. you can either use them as a, you know, something to attack or if they're, you could use him like, as, as you were kind of saying, like maybe he's good at getting crowds and you suck at getting crowds. So let's use Jesus. He's going to get more crowds so we can serve our purposes. Mm-hmm. And so either way, because you have to get the sense that, because it's kind of weird if, if we think about it, why? Because again, all it says is that, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, that's all we get in terms of a setup. And then he screams, you brood of vipers. Yeah. It's like, dang, John, like chill out. What is wrong it's with you? It's because he knows they're coming with false pretenses. Right, right. So, so you have to know that he knew that that was coming. And he's just like, no, nah, you're not going to do that here. I even like the fact that he calls them vipers. I yeah. mean, an animal that is known for a subtle approach and then it's going to attack hard. Uh, but also, I mean, draws back to the original serpent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I love that. They're filling lies. I mean, if we look at the Pharisees during this time, I mean, they're adding to the law. They're making it more unattainable than it already is, but then they're acting like they're attaining it, you know? So he just calls them out on, on every level. But you, you talked about the humility of John when he talks about, I'm not even able to hold this guy's sandals. Well, and he keeps the humility going. So yeah. uh, Winkler, if you can actually read 13 through 17, that wraps up Matthew three. Sure. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the, Jordan, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, And coming to rest on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, with whom with whom I am well pleased. So Ryan, this just continue your point here because we have back in verse eleven the humility that he's not worthy to carry his sandals. But then we get verse fourteen where he's basically telling Jesus, like, look, man, like this is really awkward. I'm almost like, dude, I'm not doing this. Like I'm not gonna baptize you. What are you talking about? Well, he's humbling himself for one. Like, what? You should be baptizing me. I, I should. Have be y'all ever had you. a moment like that where somebody like asks you to do something and you're like, no, like I need to, I was like thinking through this cause I was trying again, I'm not, it, the Bible's not about us, but I was just trying to think in my own life. Like when have I humbled myself before someone, but it was so awkward because it was so clear that the roles needed to be reversed. I, I couldn't like think of one, but it's just almost like, look, man, I, you need to be the one doing this. Like this, this doesn't make any sense. I wish I, I wish I could think of something like that. Anybody at the table? There's four of us. Literally every time I'm asked to be on the podcast. Hey, very humble guy. Were you going to say same thing? Yeah. Uh, I mean, part of the training we went through, I get to follow some like guys, that, I mean, top gun instructors and stuff like that. And you go through and they're like, all right, I'm a student today. And they're playing this dumb, like little student. And you're trying to like present yourself. And you're like, like, I'm the dumb student. This sucks. Yeah. You're trying to present yourself <laughs> as like, confident in this guy. You know, you know, this guy over here has like done everything. And he's like, awesome at everything you're trying to teach him to do. So it's super awkward and it's super uncomfortable because you're like, I'm not doing this right. I know this guy knows what he's doing, but. So what did, what did you learn from that experience though? Cause that, that's a great example. 
Uh, I mean, obviously, most of those guys are super humble to begin with. That's how they got where they are. And he's there. He wants, he wants to teach me, basically. Uh, so I learned, I mean, I guess I'm trying to learn humility from those guys that, and I, I don't know the words to say that I know either. Um, you know, I'm trying to absorb, yeah, that, absorb that humility that, yeah. to where it's like actually literally yours. Yeah. You don't realize you're actually in a class for humility at that point. Right. Right. Well, so I, I guess I even thought of one, like, because I've been asked to do like some jujitsu teaching when there are higher belts in the room and it's like, no. I'm not, I'm not doing that. And they're just like, yeah, yeah, you are like, let, let's see how you do it. And yeah, you're nervous because you're like, if I say something dumb, they're not going to call me out in front of everybody. Cause that would be embarrassing. They're like, but you almost want them to, but then it's like you, you elevate yourself to a new level naturally because of who's watching. Right. So if you're teaching a kid's class in jujitsu, it's like, dude, you could use made up words and like tell them all the wrong things. They're dumb. They're kids. Like it doesn't matter. But when you're teaching other adults and you want them to, to get better and you want them to, to continue to evolve in their game, it's kind of the same thing. But it's weird, Winkler, that you, you were talking kind of about the podcast because the guy that introduced you to us in this table is Matt Grassmeyer, who's one of my oldest friends. And he, but he says the same thing when he talks to me about, about this show. He's just like, I'm, cause from my perspective, I'm like, I'm so glad he keeps saying yes. And then he's like, I'm so glad Kyle keeps asking me. And I've heard you say the same thing, Ryan. And I've heard other guys say that. It's just, it's weird to me yeah. to hear that. Yeah. No, it, I mean, it's definitely the way I feel. I mean, I did it the first time and I was going, well, that'll probably be the last time that happens. And, and then, we, we were desperate. That's yeah. why you're back. No. I don't know. No, it's fair. I, it's fair. I agree. I mean, I, I feel that way when, when it comes to this. I'm like, who am I? I mean, I don't know the scriptures that well. I mean, I just, I like to read. I like to dive into who God is and I like to learn. I mean, I'm not really passionate about learning certain new things all the time. I mean, but I'm passionate about scripture. I'm passionate about knowing the God I serve. And I, I just think it's being able to do something like this is, you know, we're not, we're not Joby Martins here. You know, we're not Paul washers. We're just a bunch of dudes just reading Matthew and just talking to each other about it. But Ryan, that that's actually the point because from the beginning I was like, what, what would it look like if four laymen that aren't professional Christians got around a table and just made mistakes, but we're just fervently digging into the scriptures because here, here's my hope. And I've said this before. I was like, you should always look at who you were five years ago and be somewhat embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Right. Wait, wait, I thought that I dressed that way. Like I voted for that person. Like well, whatever the thing is, it's like, but if you look back on who you were five years ago and think, yeah, all good. It's like, how much improving have you done over the last half, half, I almost said century, half decade? Like how much improvement has actually gone on? Could you look back on your old self and you're like, yeah, that dude is killing it. That dude's crushing. It. I wish I could go back. I never want to look at who I was five years ago and think I want to go back to where that guy was. That level of maturity, that level of understanding. And that's what birthed the forging table because I was like, I think that yeah, I took a guess, right? And then I confirmed it through some of you guys and then has since been even further confirmed. I got the sense that there were a lot of guys not reading the Bible because they thought if I don't have time to study it, then I don't even need to read it. Or I go to church and my pastor can read it for me. Right. And he, he would never lie. And you know, who am I to, you know, fact check the pastor. Right. And I was just like, there are guys giving a lot of time to, to fancy sports and Netflix and video games and reading other books and even other types of education, but they're not digging into the scripture. 
And if you don't come to the scripture with humility, Mm -hmm. like that's going to be a problem as well. And so like, if you come to the scripture thinking, I already know this, but here we go. Matthew three, bro. Like, cause I've read Matthew three before, but whenever I was reading it last week and this week, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Like the last time yeah. I read this, I, I didn't have this depth of understanding. Well, I, I mean, it's the same thing. I go and my, my thing when I'm trying to do this is I'll read it first, make the notes I want to make. And then I'll go back and look at the commentary, you know, of people that I trust and be like, am I on the right track? Is the Holy spirit, you know, I'm not trying to fact check the Holy spirit, but I just want to make sure I'm not putting my own, you know, uh, eisegetical view into what the scripture is. And I, you said something that don't, or who am I to fact check the pastor, fact check your pastor. <laughs> right. Like, I, I will, I will tell you that don't, don't unlovingly do it and try to be on them all the time. But, uh, in today's modern age of, of, of church, you should know what the Bible says. You should you should be able to read it. So you not only are you fact checking your pastor, but you know what's being said is, is the right biblical thing. And that's actually a favor to your pastor. Yeah. Because if your pastor knows that there are men, I'm specifically speaking to the men now, that are reading the scripture along with him and, you know, trying to exposit it and exegete it and they're digging in, that's going to make sure that you keep your standards high as well because they're like, these guys are going to check me if I've done something wrong. I, I remember for me, and I know I've talked about Life Church and Craig Rochelle in here a lot. I remember the first time when I thought that then the kind of the foundations of my, you know, membership there, even though they don't have membership, began to crumble because Craig said something in church and I was like, wait, that's not what that means. Like it, it was one of those things for a guy that wasn't really studying the Bible. He said something that was so egregiously wrong that I was like, wait a minute. And then I just started thinking like, what else in that sermon was wrong? was just kind of made up for the sake of his TED talk, you know? And then it was like, what about the last year? What about the last 10 years that I've been here? Have I just been like this idiot, just like accepting all this because I just assumed, well, he went to seminary. So who am I to challenge? We actually had that same issue. Like our pastor was preaching stuff and I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like biblically it doesn't make sense. And I remember talking to my wife about it. She's like, he's our pastor. We need to submit. And I'm like, well, you, once you say that to me, I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't submit to nobody but God, you know? And so, um, I Way started to throw your wife under the bus yeah. in front of the entire audience. <laughs> She's she'll, she'll, Does she this listen to the show. This isn't our testimony. No, she doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> Good thing. Cause you'd never a, be coming back homie. Oh yeah. Well, it's called forgiveness. <laughs> yeah, over so, didn't we That's, talk about this back in Nehemiah when I quoted Nehemiah and got in trouble? Nope. So. <laughs> we never talked about it. That never happened. But, uh, but no, but I mean, we had to start looking at scripture and she, she agreed, you know, like, Oh, I see where you're coming from. Um, and so, you know, you, you can go and talk to the pastor about it and your, your pastor is either going to dig into that scripture with you. And that's a sign of a good pastor trying to teach you and trying to shepherd you. The sign of a bad pastor is the one that tells you, you know what, if you don't agree with that, that's on you. Then maybe this isn't the place for you. Right. That's the time to run. Derek, well, I think one of the things that you mentioned, like when you talked about like how you learn the best and kind of reading and listening at the same time. Uh, that's something I think I struggled with the first time I went through the Bible because I read it and I just read it the whole way through. And I was like, well, you know, I'll do that. And I'm not digging into it. I'm just reading it cover to cover. And I look back at that year and it's like, did you really read it? Like, I don't think that you really got much out of it. I think so much. Of, I mean, I, I say this, I think I said it last time I was here. The Bible is an intimidating book. There's so much to it. There's so many uh, 
there's so much to read. There's a ton of volume here. It's printed on really thin pages in columns in tiny font. There, it just seems so intimidating to get into it until you actually start looking and going, all right, let me chop this up. Let me focus and let me look at these chapter by chapter and try and link things in. When I think the other thing as well, like I thought about this the other day, I had this thought of, okay, how did I get to where I am today in jujitsu or the, the shape that you're in? It certainly wasn't all at once. It was like one day and then the next day, and then you did it again the next day, and then you took a day off, and then you hit it again, and then you hit it again, and then you look back, and it's decades of dedication to the same thing. Like, can you imagine if flight school was an hour long? Right. You know what I mean? Like, that would, oh that would kind of be obnoxious. <laughs> so it's like, you know, planes would literally be flying and falling out of the sky and hitting little old ladies walking their dogs. But before we, we put a bow on Matthew 3, I did want to bring up one more thing that was subtle, and I don't know if anyone else caught it or if I'm just dumb and I should have caught this the first time I read it. But I have heard a lot of debates, um, specifically between Muslims and Christians, where, um, and even Christians and Christians, where like they're like, hey, the Trinity, the word Trinity doesn't even show up in the New Testament. Trinity is not like a, a thing. Like, y'all are making this up. You're, you're trying to make Father, Son, Holy Spirit a thing. But if we go to verses 16 and 17, okay? So, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my who's speaking and my that's the father beloved son their son with whom i am well pleased so in a couple of scriptures you have father son holy spirit now is the word trinity here no but that's the same thing like when carl lentz back in the day said you know what jesus never even used the word homosexuality so i'm not going to talk about it from the pulpit it's like, dummy, he did use the Galilean ancient Aramaic word for pornea, which is how it's written down in the Greek, which is all sexual immorality, which would have included homosexuality, you dolt. And so I, I think that that's an important thing that that's not even necessarily the point of this chunk of scripture here. It's to show that Jesus, you know, really even humbled himself to be baptized by a sinner, right? But I mean, even right there, you have the Trinity. I thought that was important. I a hundred percent agree. I mean, if you look at it, you know, if we go back to John and, and John baptizing him and him being humbled enough to ask, you know, John to baptize him, John doesn't want to do it. Why? Because he knows, he knows he's sinless. He doesn't need right. to be baptized. He doesn't need to repent. He is who we need to repent to. Um, and so I agree a hundred percent that that has to do with the Trinity. I mean, you have Christ, the sinless sacrifice right there. And then you have the dove, which is the Holy spirit. And then you have God actually speaking to the people there at that time. It's totally the Trinity. You don't need to call it anything but the Trinity. Well, and I want to, the dove is it's a call back to Noah. Yep. I mean, it's a call back to Noah. You're, you're going, okay. Holy Spirit's descending on him like a dove, a dove that signified the end of God's judgment at the end of Noah. Yep. I love it. Sorry, just had no. to link that up. I was like, that's just beautiful. You know what's interesting about that? This, uh, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent here at the very, very end, but uh, Satan is obviously the father of lies and he's the great deceiver. And we'll see that certainly when we get into uh, Matthew 4. But I never noticed this until recently. But do y'all know how many colors there are in the rainbow? Like seven. seven. Seven, Roy G. Biv. So yep. red, orange, yellow, blue, indigo, violet. Wait, I left Green. out B. Green. Green. So Roy G. Biv. Anyway, you, you got it. Yep. 
So do you know how many stripes there are on the pride flag? Six. Six. But when you look at the pride flag, it looks like a normal rainbow, but it's not. There are six colors instead of seven. So I don't know if there's a corollary for the dove, like what is, what is Satan's dove uh, in this particular setup? Because when I see a rainbow now, I'll see a rainbow in church and be like, oh, I'm at an apostate church. And it's like, no, <laughs> no. It's actually at the end of the rainbow is like a boat with a bunch of animals in it. We're in a kid's section that's teaching the Bible literally. And, but now it's like that, that symbol has been co-opted but it hasn't because it's not actually the symbol. And so you have to think about like in our everyday life, like what is that dove that, you know, Satan is potentially using because the dove should symbolize part of the promise, you know, from Noah, the dove should, should symbolize the Holy spirit coming down. Like anyway, that's just something to kind of think through and think about that. And we'll certainly get more into this into into Matthew four next week, but Satan will use everything at his disposal, including scripture to try and mess you up and get you off the track towards God. But guys, we'll have to leave it there, but come back here next Sunday where we will actually dig into Matthew 4 and not just set it up the whole time. But Derek Edwards, you made it. Made it. That is your first recording. Congratulations. How Thank awkward you. was it? Was it terrible? It was great. Okay, we, we got through. <laughs> we'll keep working our way there, but make sure you read Matthew 4 so you can be prepared for next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Going to mess up my own outro, but the only link we've got for you today is linked to our donation page. Guys, the only way that we're going to be able to pull off what we need to pull off in order to equipment around the globe to push back darkness is because we have donors. And Derek, I think that you are the very, very first monthly donor to sign up for Undaunted Life. And we're so thankful for that, but we need more guys just like you because we've got a lot of stuff in the hopper. Everything we do costs money. That's just the way the world goes. But if you want to help us equipment to push back darkness, please go to that link and hop on board. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song per Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Face Down Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>